0: Last month, the National Religious Vocation Conference released a study that shows what we've known all along, that religious vocations are nurtured in the home. So, recent entrants to religious life and diocesan priesthood say that they came from families that go to Mass weekly, pray together often, have active faith lives, and encourage family members to be open to vocation options. Those in Religious Life who responded to the survey also said that they came from families that give importance to private and public religious practices in addition to mass attendance, such as saying grace before meals and bedtime prayers, displaying religious art and objects, and actively participating in parish life and charitable services. Also families that witness and talk about their faith in their daily lives families that attend Catholic schools or receive parish-based religious education, families that regularly eat dinner together and gather as a family for games or discussions, families that have Catholic periodicals and other media available in the household, families that listen to the Salt and Light Hour, and families that support the idea of a vocation to religious life and the priesthood. I guess that is why last weekend we had the very first married couple to be canonized, Louis and Zélie Martin were the parents of St. Therese of Lisieux. They are the parents of a saint, but not only did St. Therese enter religious life, but all five Martin daughters entered religious life. I guess a lot of these findings are common sense. These are all good things that families should be doing, but I would suggest that probably the most difficult one is that we should talk about religious life and ordained life as normal options for young people as they try to figure out what to do after high school. I'm sure not many parents are doing that. Don't be afraid of religious and ordained life. And if you want inspiration, go find out about Saints Louis and Zélie Martin, who are now in heaven with their daughter Saint Therese, spending their eternity doing good on earth. I'm Deacon Pedro, and this is the Salt and Light Hour. Hello, I'm Deacon Pedro, and welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. On the show today, we continue with our Synod coverage. This week, we're joined by Father Russell Pollitt. He's the director of the Jesuit Institute in South Africa. He's in Rome, helping out with the English coverage of the Synod for Vatican Radio. So he's going to give us this week's update. That's in about five minutes. After that, Mark Matthews returns to tell us what's good in Hollywood. Today, he will tell us about something really good that's happening in Hollywood. You don't want to miss this, especially if you're a guy. And last time, we introduced a new segment, Connect 5, a segment where Sebastian Gomes introduces us to a fascinating person, and we learn something relevant that will broaden our perspective. Today, Sebastian speaks with Carl Haytu. He's the Canadian director for the Catholic Near East Welfare Association. In our second half hour, we speak with author Chris Stepien about his new novel, Three Days, The Search for the Boy Messiah, based on the 12-year-old Jesus' adventure in Jerusalem. It's a fun book, and I'm excited about speaking with him. And after that, we'll be reconnecting with singer-songwriter Rebecca Rubion, who's starting a crowdsourcing campaign for her new album, Sleepless Nights. So, let's start. Here's Rebecca Rubion with a song, Vasheri Girl... From her previous album, Fields.
1: Oh, angels swayed on the day that I met you. I am a factory girl. You were a farmer from Iowa. Canopy of green, New Orleans, that famous courtyard. I For your hand, a life began, and we made it this far because you are my My heart heart. forever, honey. You, you are my heart. You have a collection of rocks. You're keeping a box on display in our front parlor You have a collection of plates from every state I hung them on our living room wall You went and rescued a cockatoo and taught it to speak. You're the only day who can name players on all of the Your name is homemade, but you're the only one who can cheer on my right oh. Forgive me when I say that you just may be the world's worst driver. to honestly, I don't feel safe, right? And shotgun with you either. We're always arguing you we get
0: was Rebecca Rubion with Vasheri Girl from her album Fields, and singing with Rebecca was Stephen Fiore. We're going to be speaking with Rebecca in our second half hour, but first, our news. The Synod on the Family continues in Rome, and there are many journalists from around the world covering it. One of them is Father Russell Paulette, director of the Jesuit Institute in South Africa. He is in Rome, assisting at Vatican Radio for their English coverage of the Synod of Bishops. I spoke to him earlier in the week, Father Russell. Welcome to the Salt and Light Hour.
2: Thank you very much. So Good to be with you.
0: Yes, no, it's great to have you with us. Um, before we start, can you m- maybe quickly tell us what the Jesuit Institute in South Africa is? What do you do?
2: The Jesuit Institute is really a place in South Africa where we try to encourage dialogue between faith and society on a number of different levels, so social justice the education of people theologically, uh, analysis of society, analysis of politics, theological analysis, and we also do a lot of retreats and right. uh, spiritual directors' training.
0: So you do the retreats, the, the, the spiritual director training, and then the other events that have to do are, are, are lectures, workshops, that sort of things. How do you, you encourage the dialogue?
2: normally through workshops. Yeah. Uh, we don't give too many lectures. We do. But we generally prefer a style of bringing people from different sectors of society or different religious groupings together around a table uh, to, to kind of share um, their experience and talk about things that are important. So it's really dialogical.
0: Right. Now, and you are on loan to Vatican Radio, helping out with their English coverage of the Synod. Um, mainly making sure that the the daily press briefings uh, get get out. So, can you, for our listeners who maybe have been a little disconnected the last week, can you maybe give us an update? Starting with last weekend, there was a big canonization in Rome. Tell us about that.
2: So that is my role every day to go to the daily press brief. What the what the Vatican did was they said in order to keep the world informed, we will have a daily press brief of what has happened in the synod. So last Sunday we had the uh, canonization of a number of uh, saints, uh, mm-hmm. most especially perhaps important was the parents of Saint Therese of Lisieux, yeah. uh, the first couple to be canonized uh, in the church, and of course in the middle of the synod uh, they had uh, a number of children, and uh, a number of those children also entered religious life. So yes. we see both sides of of the church there, the married couple who live faithfully together and then the children who entered into religious life. That was Sunday, and it was a very joyful celebration. There mm. were many people in the square. It was it was uh, well attended. Of course, many French people, because that's where Therese yes. comes from. And then the fathers of the Synod and the delegates, because they also lay people, got back to uh, their group work. And yes. the whole of Monday and the whole of Tuesday, they worked in groups. And they are working on the third section of the working document of the Synod, which is called Instrumentum Laboris. Yes. So they were... There were three sections, and they uh, have looked at each section um, very carefully to to analyze it and how that document was composed was out of the last synod it was the report out of the out of the extraordinary Synod last year yes. and then the surveys that were done throughout the world, the information that the church received from those surveys were then incorporated into that document. So mm-hmm. the bishops had a lot of material to to work through. They spent Monday and Tuesday looking at uh, that document. Mm-hmm. On uh, Tuesday evening, they came together in a plenary session, again with the Holy Father, and they reported back okay. on um, that document. And really what we saw was uh, the, the divergent views were still there, a number of groups saying we should look for a way forward for people who are divorced and civilly remarried to have access to the sacraments, and a number of groups also saying we need to maintain church teaching, we can't do this. Right. And the other thing that emerged was also the question of centralization, decentralization. Mm-hmm. Should we be dealing with specific things, like for example where I come from in Africa, we have some cultures which believe in polygamy, that a man can marry more than one wife, and we have situations where those kinds of people are also Catholic. Can those things be left to local Episcopal conferences to deal with because they understand the context? Right. Well, what happened was a number of uh, people also said, we don't want this to happen because we're a universal Catholic church. We're not a continental church. So there were interesting um, divisions uh, there. Uh, Wednesday was a was a day off for the uh, fathers of the uh-huh. synod and the delegates. Uh, w- behind the scenes, there were some of them working very hard because what they did for the remainder of the week was try and put together this final report yes. that, the, that the Pope that the <laughs> Pope was to receive. Yes. Uh, so it was a it was a long week for the writing crew. I mean, some of them worked through the night, and they have been working through the night even on the other sections to put this um, document together. So they, they 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 met and they uh, looked at the text, uh, made changes, and then on Friday again it was a writing day uh-huh. uh, for the for the uh, for those who are putting together this text and and preparing it uh, to be uh, delivered to uh, the Holy Father.
0: So the synod concludes officially on Saturday. That is the day when the Holy Father receives uh, the the conclusions, or the day that the Holy Father presents some sort of. I'm not sure, concluding document or, or, or speech.
2: The Holy Father will receive the report, uh-huh. and no doubt he will make remarks on the report, but everything is kind of uh, also a little bit unsure because right now at the end, even, it's not sure what the Holy Father is going to do. He has not made his intentions clear. And so many people are saying, well, you know, he's going to just deliver a speech, and other people are saying, well, he's going to receive this report and say something about it. Maybe he will release the report straight away. Right. Uh, it's all up for grabs as to as to what the Holy Father is going to do with it. Uh-huh. And then on Sunday morning, there's there's a there's a liturgy, a mass in St Peter's Basilica, which will really mark the end of these three weeks. It began with a mass. And uh, it will end with a mass on on Sunday morning.
0: Right, and no doubt during the mass, during the homily, Pope Francis will probably mention something about the synod. Um, uh, just, it's I don't... very
2: interesting uh, just to say that. Yes, Pope Francis in the in the sessions of the synod, because I've I've been privileged to sit in on the plenary sessions of the synod. Yes, Pope Francis has said very little, and the times he has spoken have been out of the sessions of the synod. But the things that he said, for example. Uh, what he said at the 50th celebration of the Institution of the Synod uh, the the Saturday before the closing week where he spoke about collegiality and he spoke about a church that is an upside-down pyramid that somehow the Pope is at the bottom, not at the top, and the base is the people of God. Those kinds of images, so the homily on Sunday could also contain those sorts of of images. So it will be very important to listen to that Sunday homily.
0: Absolutely. Um, And then uh, you also uh, mentioned to me earlier that you wanted to, to make clear that people understand that the Synod does not conclude on Sunday per se, that these themes are not exhausted in their entirety, that the conversation will continue. Is that correct?
2: Oh, for sure. Look, there have been so many different things put on the table, and some things have not got, in my opinion, they have not got the the attention that was needed. So, for example, migration has been spoken of. Migration is kind of almost becoming a worldwide phenomenon. It was spoken of, but I don't think it was dealt with. The question of poverty, the question of war, how these things all impact on family life. So this synod is really going to be something that's got to be continued. Mm -hmm. Uh, These things will have to be discussed, and we will see what happens. I mean, in some places they're saying, well, maybe there's commissions that are going to be set up to, right. to look at these kinds of issues. Uh, maybe, you know, the Pope will say a few things and give power over to episcopal conferences to study things so for sure this synod is going to be an ongoing journey i think this is only the beginning of what's going to be a long journey and interesting dialogue in the church
0: right okay now i don't want to let you go before i ask you maybe by by the weekend when people listen to this conversation nobody would be talking about this anymore but on wednesday there were concerns about the holy father's health what can you tell us about that
2: On Wednesday, uh, there was a report that was out in a newspaper that claimed that the Holy Father had a tumor, a small tumor, that he had seen a doctor about this. Uh, This was immediately uh, denied by the Holy See. The press spokesman said this is not true. Uh, It was then uh, later on during the day, even in the press briefing, the briefing opened on Wednesday with uh, the the spokesperson saying this is not true. He checked this out with various different people. He'd even spoken to the doctor himself. And the doctor says he received a call from a journalist asking him questions about tumors, but that the Pope was never mentioned. And he also said that they said um, a helicopter had taken the Pope uh, on this trip, and he said he checked this, and no helicopter had ever flown Uh, even in January, to take the Pope anywhere. So where that rumor came from,
1: we are unsure,
2: um, but it certainly did cause a lot of concern, uh, not just in Rome, but around the world.
0: Absolutely. Okay, well, that's good news anyway. uh, Father Russell, we're going to leave it there. Thank you so much for joining us today and for the work that you're doing for the Church. Thank you. That was Father Russell Pollitt, director of the Jesuit Institute in South Africa. He joined us from Vatican Radio in Rome. For more news and Synod coverage, watch our daily Perspectives Update and Inside the Synod on Salt and Light TV, online at saltandlighttv.org, and on your Roku channel.
3: Hi, I'm Rebecca Rubion, and you're listening to the Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Pedro.
0: You're listening to the Salton Light Hour every week on the Catholic channel, SiriusXM 129, on the Spirit Catholic Radio Network, on Holy Family Radio, on the Lamb Catholic Radio, on the Barraga Radio Network, on Relevant Radio, on the internet at saltonlighttv.org, and on your Roku. And now it's time for. What's good in Hollywood with our Hollywood undercover missionary. Mark Matthews. Mark, another Hello,
4: season. Hello,
0: Pedro. Another season.
5: I am glad to be back for another season. And that is a very long list of people who are playing Salt Lake Radio. It, isn't it very great?
0: We're on, on about 35 radio stations in your beautiful country, the United States of America.
5: Fantastic.
0: Fantastic. So that's a lot of people that are listening to you right now.
5: Wow, the pressure, the pressure. Say
0: hello. Um, hello, everyone. <laughs> so, so you decided to not talk about something that's dysfunctional in Hollywood, but something that's actually good in <laughs> Hollywood this, this week, Yes.
5: Right? I have a very long list of topics of things that are dysfunctional in Hollywood, but today I'm going to blow my own horn a little bit. Okay. And I want to talk, talk about a micro-ministry, is what I call it, uh-huh. that I've been livi- uh, running out of my living room for the past seven years called Bibles and Brews. Okay. Okay. It, so,
0: yeah. So. So. So you read the Bible and you drink beer.
5: Yes, it doesn't <laughs> necessarily have to be beer. It, brew includes tea and coffee as well. Uh,
0: yes, oh. of course. So. Yeah. So why did you? Is this something you started? Why did you start this?
5: It is something that I started, um, and I previously had served a year with an organization called Catholic Christian Outreach. Uh, and they specialize in university evangelism, mm-hmm. and so I learned kind of all the techniques. And when I came out here, I met many uh, Catholics, uh, but who, but young adult Catholics like myself, but who were kind of essentially uncatechized or unevangelized, um, and yet they want to be good Catholics. And so uh, I also met a lot of men too that were, you know, struggling with chastity and just kind of you know what I call like masculinity issues. Yeah. And so it was kind of a, a very natural thing to just kind of continue the kind of work that I was doing with CCO, and Bibles and Brew was born. And uh, it's just a, a very simple kind of ministry. We meet out of my living room uh, every other Monday night. And uh, I really felt like uh, God was asking me to keep this kind of, you know, small and consistent. Uh, sometimes because I see sort of so many uh, flash-in-the-pan large ministries, um and then you know things that are ministries that are saying we want to do big things for god but then they don't last right so you know small but consistent and try to be holy
0: okay so then what do you you drink tea and coffee and you talk what 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 do you do what what's a what does a, a regular monday night look like
5: well so an average monday night um we'll get together uh we'll either study something, which is just like basics of the faith, you know, why do you need a Savior, what are the sacraments, or we'll talk about uh, manhood issues, you know, either chastity, pornography, leadership, fatherhood, um, our identity. Um, We'll do those, we'll read a book together, uh, or listen to a talk, Uh, and at the end we'll always take time to pray together. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, I think, you know, it's just kind of lots of little things uh, that can contribute to make a make a successful ministry. Um, and you know men have been coming out to this, and I keep saying, as long as God keeps bringing them out, uh, I'll keep posting this. It, so it, it, I guess I what I want to say is I really want to encourage people that it's really easy to start a little group or a ministry like this. Uh-huh. Um, and what you have to do is the first the most important thing is to pray, pray about it. Um, and even have friends who will pray for your group, too. Tell them when you're going to host it and say, hey, you know, can you please pray for us? Um, you know, be well prepared. Um, I've even actually put together a little list of, you know, kind of materials for that you can use in a, in a group like this, right. um, which I will have posted in a blog posting. Yes. Um, but then also, I think what's really important is uh, that it's not just an intellectual study group. Um, but it's a group where we can kind of really share our weaknesses and our struggles with one another.
1: Mm-hmm.
5: Uh, and, you know, we, have, of course, have a seal of confidentiality. You know, we don't talk yeah. about things outside the group. Um, but this really kind of helps uh, sort of nurture that kind of, like, atmosphere. So
0: Right. And you, you're you in charge? You moderate everything? You prepare the topics, or do you share that with uh, some of the other guys?
5: Correct. Yeah. No, for the most part, uh, I, I, I will moderate them. I'll have guys take over when I can not do it, stuff yeah. like that. Um, but, yeah, it's pretty, pretty much myself who, who moderates it. So.
0: so so it's Hollywood. Who comes out to this? you have Mark Wahlberg coming out to your group?
5: Oh, totally, all the time, <laughs> all the time. Yeah, no, well, so not surprisingly, I'd say over half of our members are aspiring actors, writers, directors, musicians, mm-hmm. um, and I think actually, particularly for people in the industry, I think it's really important to have that kind of support yeah. um, just because it can kind of be so discouraging, and, and we're in a very secular you know, a very promiscuous uh, city. Um, so, so it helps to have that uh, fellowship and brotherhood. It helps to help us grow in virtue, mm-hmm. and it also helps us, you know, encourage each other to be a Christian witness to yeah. everyone that we meet.
0: Yeah, excellent. So, anybody can come. I'm sure they they the, the 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 word spreads sort of word of mouth kind of thing. It's not like you're advertising. Uh, yeah,
5: word of, word of mouth. People that I've met or some of these guys will invite their other friends. So. Um, you know, and yeah, I'd say, you know, on any given night, we'll have, you know, very five or 10 men, uh, over the years, we've actually probably had hundreds. Yeah. Um, but you know, I, it doesn't have to be big to have a transformational effect on the culture. Uh, you know, we're, we're working in God's world here and uh, you know, it can be small but you know, be holy and be committed to
0: it. Okay, excellent. And you don't have to be in Hollywood to do this. Everywhere men need support and I guess it doesn't Correct. have to be just for men, but, but if you're looking to do something for men in your parishes or in your communities, this is something that you can do. Mark is going to publish all the tips on a nice handy blog that you can read and we'll post that on our site. Um, Thank you. I, I'm very encouraged. This is something that I personally feel called called to do, so maybe now this is what I needed, a little push from Mark Matthews to start my own Bibles and Brew uh, men's group.
5: Do it, Pedro. Do Don't it. hesitate. Just
0: do it. Do it. Do it. Okay, well, there you go. That is something good that is happening in Hollywood. Thank you, Mark
5: Matthews. Thank you, Pedro.
0: That's what's good in Hollywood with Mark Matthews, our undercover Hollywood missionary. You can follow him on Twitter at hu missionary
5: hi i'm pasquale Rico, and you're listening to the salt and light hour with Deacon pedro
0: how are you going to spend the next five minutes of your time how about listening in meeting a fascinating person and learning something relevant that will broaden your perspective sit down with sebastian gomes and go straight to the heart of the matter here's connect five Today, Sebastian speaks with Carl Atu, head of the Catholic Near East Welfare Association for Canada. He offers analysis on the crisis in Ukraine.:
4: The situation in Ukraine. It's very interesting. We have the Ukrainian uh, people who want and have independence, and we also have a pro-Russian separatist movement also in the country being supported by Russia. But now, what do we need to know about what's happening in Ukraine currently?
6: Well, the uh, situation in Ukraine, we have to go back a year ago or so. Uh, If you recall, at that time, the uh, president of Ukraine wanted to have a deal with the European Union, economic deal, and Putin opposed that. and says, listen, I have a better deal for you. And so he switched, and it turned bad. And Yurkanovich, the president, had to leave after major protest. And after he ordered the killing of 100 innocent people. And in the meantime, Uh, Russia uh, took by force Crimea, which belonged to Ukraine. Ukrainians voted for a new president, then a new government. But the pro-Russian forces uh, in Russia started to say, well, uh, with the propaganda that happened, uh, they don't want us. This is a bunch of fanatics Ukrainians from the West. What about us, uh, uh, pro-Russian-speaking folks from the East? and that's where things started to go back and Donetsk and Donetsk and uh, Far East. War just started to happen.
4: It's a a full-out war. Would you call it a war that's that's going on?
6: Yeah, if uh, if you talk to any Ukrainians in Ukraine, they are at war. And why they are at war? It's because there's conscription. Uh, Young uh, Ukrainian men and women are forced to enroll. Uh, Some go willingly because their life is shattered, simply economically and socially, and others (coughs) are forced to go to war and they are equipped uh, with the military and they go to the front and some come back uh, uh, injured um, psychologically and of course physically and many dies. And so uh, the entire Ukrainian society right now is mobilizing towards war, all its resources and what you have is a very very shaky economy is now into an economic depression. Uh, the poverty level is increasing. Um, it's a
4: humanitarian crisis. Oh,
6: absolutely! Yeah. Look, it, it, there's 1.5 million people that have left the region, and there's a lot of um, a lot of people that are being assassinated. As soon as you oppose the regime, you, especially if you belong to the Catholic Church or uh, non-Moscow uh, Patriarchate Church you're sure you better leave the region.
4: There are different uh, uh, types of Christians in Ukraine, obviously. Yeah. Uh, a, a small minority of them are Ukrainian Greek Catholics, Yes, but they have a, a very pronounced voice. They're, they're a strong community, obviously. They come from a history of persecution and yes. war and violence against them. But w- what's the situation for them and for the other Christians uh, in Ukraine right now?
6: By the contrary, of some people might say the churches in Ukraine, uh, under a specific council, have great dialogue and they work together. What's happening is more from the Moscow Patriarchate, that at each occasion, following Putin's lead, uh, wondering if the script is not written by Putin himself, are trying to create tensions and dissension between the Moscow Patriarchate that is present in Ukraine, the Kiev Patriarchate of the Orthodox Church, and the Greek Catholic Church. By the way, all those churches have the same root.
4: When you look at Ukraine, you say that there's a bigger battle being waged between Russia in the East and the Western world. There's bigger
6: ideologies at well, play. You know, Russia has the right to be different. Russia has the right to, to develop a different type of approach than us in the Western society. It would be very arrogant of our part to believe that there's only the Western approach. Right. Where it creates a problem is when they are preventing other countries, neighboring countries, from becoming themselves. Clearly, the leadership of Putin at this time um, see Ukraine um, as a threat, and they're trying to destabilize. Not enough to see as a great direct intervention, but just enough to destabilize it so much that it cannot grow because everything is mobilizing towards war. And there's no investment in Ukraine right now. Young Ukrainians that have university degrees instead of starting businesses and becoming <coughs> theologians or philosophers or engineers are going to war and being killed or slaughtered. So what's 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 going on here? And so this is why there needs to be a pressure at all level towards peace.
0: That was Sebastian Gomes speaking with Carl Etu of Kinewa, Canada. You can watch this and more interviews at saltandlighttv.org slash connect 5 and also on your roku coming up in our second half hour in search for the boy messiah and a featured chat with rebecca rubion so stay tuned Hello and welcome to the Salt and Light Hour Part 2. I'm Deacon Pedro. In the second chapter of the Gospel of Luke, we are told that Jesus was lost in the temple for three days when he traveled to Jerusalem for Passover when he was 12 years old. All we get are 12 verses. But what really happened? Why did he stay behind? Where did he stay? Now, I love it when people help bring gospel stories to life, and this is exactly what author and journalist Chris Stepien has done with his novel Three Days, The Search for the Boy Messiah. Ever wonder what really happened in Jerusalem when he was 12 years old? I'm now joined by Chris Stepien to tell us all about it. Chris, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour.
7: Oh, it's a pleasure to join you, Deacon Pedro.
0: So, um, before we go into kind of some specifics of the story, why... Why take that particular, those 12 verses, and, I mean, I can imagine that you, you read them and your imagination is going, and next thing you know, there's, there's a larger story coming up. But is that what happened?
7: Well, actually, it came to me through my prayer life. Um, uh-huh. I had gone through some tough times a little more than 10 years ago, and, um, you know, life brought me to my knees. And so being Catholic uh, and having reached my limit, I reached for my rosary. And I turned to Mary, the mother of God, and I said, listen, I'll say a decade of the rosary every day, but I need you to get me closer to your son. Pretty arrogant, huh? Uh -huh. But anyway, so I would contemplate these mysteries using the Ignatian spiritual exercises. And, you know, St. Iggy said, you know, pretend like a child to be in the story. And when I would come around to that fifth joyful mystery, the finding in the temple, Mm -hmm. I finally, as a father and and a husband and a father and and now a grandfather it really started to bother me you know when i was really contemplating what was going on the journey during passover down to jerusalem from nazareth and then again him being left behind or why did he stay behind and and what went on for those three days where did he you know where did he sleep what did he eat was he ever in any danger slave trading was common back then right and it started to bother me and then a voice in my heart said do something with this story and being a television guy, originally, I yeah. thought, oh, I'll write a screenplay. But I didn't know enough about the times. Right. And then after I learned about the times, there was too much for me to write a screenplay. Right. Exactly. So I just said, I'm going to put it down as a novel, and, 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 and we'll see what happens. Maybe our, our, one day a grandchild would read it.
0: Yes. No. Uh, okay, so how do you go about writing—I uh, have so many questions—but how do you go about writing uh, something about the life of Jesus The because you're not writing a gospel.
7: (laughs) Yeah, well, well, first of all, that's a great question, because I said right away, I can't, it's a novel, so i got to write dialogue, and I can't speak for Jesus, because some people won't pick up the book. They'll say, well, this is not what he said. So everything he says in the novel is a scriptural quote, mostly Old Testament. Yeah,
0: and I was going to ask you that. So you made that a conscious choice, because you felt that you would not be able to do justice to actually put words in the mouth of Jesus.
7: Right, because he's the, the, the way, the truth, and the life, and he's the truth, so I have to speak the truth, everything he had to say, and I'm taking a liberty as is, putting Old Testament quotes in what would be the right place, but I just trusted the Holy Spirit to guide me, because I felt the Holy Spirit was guiding me to write the book to begin with, because that voice that said, do something with this story, I actually heard it. I mean, in my head, it was, I looked up at the ceiling while praying and said, what? You know, what should I do? I mean, so I said, I've got to go with this and just trust it.
0: Right. So so that's one thing that you did. You you make sure that every time that in the novel that we hear Jesus speaking, he's actually quoting scripture, and as you said, mostly uh, Old Testament scripture. Um, mm-hmm. What other things did you have to do? How much research did you have to do? You mentioned that slave trade was common in that time, so you had to find that out, I presume.
7: Sure. Well, I I, I have a good priestly friend, a scholarly uh, priest, Father Joseph Marquis, and he tipped me on to a great book called Jesus and His Times, which was okay. published by the Reader's Digest Association in 1987. It's a pretty good resource for a common guy like me to read. And I had read The Maker's Diet, which is a, bi- which is a, um, a biblical diet um, to enhance, you know, the quality of life, and, and that was written by a Ph.D., a Messianic Jew named Jordan Rubin. And, of uh-huh. course, I, as Pope Francis says, you know, the, the web is a gift from God, and yeah. it was a wonderful resource. I could look up all kinds of information about... Uh, the Times of Jesus, including there's a great uh, Jewish encyclopedia that stopped publishing in 1906 that was a good source. And uh, anything I found on the web, of course, I double-checked with other sources like right. encyclopedias. So those old dusty encyclopedias became valuable again um, to, to find out what life was like back then.
0: Because mm-hmm, you're, you, you're giving a lot of details, not just about... I mean historically what would have been happening at the time but but the, about uh, about ritual what it was like to go into the temple the the ritual baths all that stuff that I guess you have to get right because if you don't get it right then it's just not true.
7: Yeah and I've had some Jewish friends read it including a, a rabbi and and they were cool with it they they thought it was they 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 nodded their heads and they said yeah this is all that nothing bothered them, so I felt confident with that, that it would also touch an, an interfaith community. One of the things that was striking, Deacon, was the Passover, uh, the, the slaughter of the lambs and the kids' goats. Yes, I mean, yes. thousands of them, so it changes your whole concept of what the of the Eucharist is, because yes. Jesus is now our Paschal Lamb. But on a single afternoon, they slaughtered thousands Thousands. maybe tens of thousands of lambs and kid goats uh for passover
0: yes yes i know and again that's what i meant when i uh, when i said at the beginning that i love it when when people help me bring those stories to life because you might just read 12 verses in scripture and you kind of and we've heard them many times yeah he got lost in the temple maybe don't think about it much until you reflect on it or maybe pray with it like you did Mm -hmm. and then to have someone say well no passover this is what it meant and this is what people did and they sacrif slaughtered i love the word slaughter um thousands of of lambs or goats or whatever other animals they slaughtered and that's a lot of blood and a lot of people and you understand why the the temple was a marketplace um you understand Jerusalem as a as a trade center full of people not just jews but people from all over the place um that's a lot of A lot of detail would you say that this novel would you call this novel a historical novel
7: I would I I think uh, that would be journalistically accurate because I tried to make it historically accurate and I also tried to make it realistic I tried to come up with a very plausible reason as to why Jesus remained behind
0: yeah and I guess I'm not gonna ask you to tell us because we want people to buy the book right
7: well, right, and, and that because we know how it ends, right? Yes, we, we we know do. that his mom and dad find him, yes, and so that yeah, I think is the cliffhanger.
0: Yes, and in your imagination, again, I'm not. Maybe we should say this this or that specifically, but in your imagination, d- uh, why are Mary and Joseph not angry with this young man who did not come with well,
7: them? Well, Hail Mary, full of grace, you lost <laughs> the the Messiah. And Joseph, you will name your son Yeshua, which means salvation. Uh, that is Joseph, if you can find your son alive. Yeah. And so I think that they, they, they were, you know, right from the beginning, being the parents of the Messiah was challenging. He was yeah. born in a manger. Then they had to flee to Egypt. They, at the presentation, they went to take him to the presentation of the temple. He was like 38 days old. And Simeon says, yes, this is the Messiah, and oh, by the way, Mary, a sword will pierce your, yes. your soul, your heart. Yes. So there was constantly this dichotomy, this, this joy mixed with suffering, which of course we see on the cross, which culminates in the ultimate glory, but this is what it was like to be the parents of Jesus, the, mm-hmm. the, the boy Messiah. Right. And sometimes ordinary parents can feel that way about their children, uh, joy mixed with yeah. sorrow. I think lots of families yeah. who can relate to this book.
0: Yes, not, not just sometimes, but mostly all the time. Um, <laughs> um, th- uh, what is your hope for this book? How, how do, you, do you think this is a book that, that will help people in their prayer life, or is it just a fun novel to read with your kids? Um, how, what is your hope for how people can use this book?
7: My hope is that it can be part of the new evangelization, to help people realize that Jesus was indeed human and divine. He sweated. He had probably had pimples. He didn't enjoy yes. doing his chores as a kid. He liked to play, he had a hobby, he had a favorite food. He was just like us in that way. He can understand our joys and our pains, and I hope that that will cause them to delve into the Gospels and say, you know, whenever I read this, I have to know more about the life and the times. Like when Jesus is with the Samaritan woman at the well. Yeah. Why does he get his, her attention? Because he says, whoever drinks the water I shall give will never thirst. she had been schlepping water yes. from that well her whole life. Yes. Even though it was a, a, a lush area compared to the rest of the arid climate in the, in ancient uh, Holy Land, yes. but she, this was water. that was a desert dweller's dream.
6: Mm-hmm. So, we,
7: in the era of vitamin water and and you know filtered water on demand, we have to we put ourselves in Jesus's times to genuinely appreciate what He had to say, and in that way, the gospel can quench our thirst.
0: Absolutely. So that's that's a good good advice that when we read Scripture, we need to read it. Not just in a historical context, but there's also, a, you know, read it with a guide, get get some help so that you're not just reading stuff and then not understanding it. Um, there's lots of study guides out there to help you uh, understand scripture. Um, Chris, I'm not going to let you go without you giving us at least a little bit. I, 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 I Rumors tell me that you've written a rap lyric based on this story. Um, it's
7: true. It started out as a poem, Deacon, and then yes. it became a rap.
0: Give us a little bit of it.
7: So you're the boy Messiah with your bucket at the well. Do you, do you know what's deep inside you, what it's like to conquer hell? Ain't life tough away from heaven, often ugly, cold, and old? Even if you're only seven, they expect you're good as gold. So you're the boy Messiah, and you're from a tiny town Was a virgin mom that had you. Holy Spirit came on down. At 12, you were a little man, climbed up the Temple Hill, muscles tight, desert tan, hungry for God's will. So you're the boy Messiah and you're in Jerusalem. Passover dinner's for you and the party's good for them. They ate the food and prayed a lot and then they all went home. You stayed behind. We don't know why. The temple courts to Rome? Yo that, yo.
0: That's great. So maybe we'll we'll get to hear that on Salt and Light Radio with uh, proper uh, instruments and, and, and rhythms behind it. Chris, um thank you so much. Uh you're, you're good 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 storytelling, good rap lyric writing, good uh Thank you for doing this. Uh, I really thoroughly enjoyed reading the, the book. It, it's a great novel, um, lots of little cliffhangers to keep you going, um, not just for young people, although it is for young people, but I, I think any adult will also enjoy this book as well. Um, thank you for sharing a little bit of what you did with us today, Chris.
7: Thank you for the blessing to join you. God bless you.
0: Chris Stepien is an accomplished and award-winning journalist who worked mainly for ABC. His first novel is Three Days, The Search for the Boy Messiah. It is published by DynamicCatholic.com, but you can find out more at TheBoyMessiah.com. Here now is our featured artist of the week, Rebecca Rubion, with the title track of her upcoming album, Sleepless Nights.
1: Toss and turn into oblivion You say that I'm a fool And I say you're ridiculous I'd rather forget it And just have some fun If we're gonna be old Till sunrise Hang up your telephone What's life worth living If we're together And feeling alone I'm tired
0: was Rebecca Rubion with Sleepless Nights from her upcoming album of the same name. Now, we last heard from Rebecca Rubion last Christmas. She had just put out a new album titled Christmas Lights. But now, the New Orleans-born, Nashville-based singer-songwriter is working on her first ever full-length album, and she's seeking crowdfunding to make it happen. The album is titled Sleepless Nights, and I I am now joined by Rebecca Rubion, to find out more, Rebecca, welcome back to the Salt and Light Hour.
3: Thank you so much. It is an honor to be back.
0: So I was going to start by asking you um, what you've been up to since December. And I know you've been working on the album. So, But I know that something special happened last weekend. So tell me about that.
3: <laughs> well, um, a lot has happened musically and otherwise. Yes. On a personal note. I just got engaged to be married um, to a wonderful, wonderful Catholic man who was actually studying to be a legionary priest for several years
1: and
3: um, left the seminary, discerned out, and actually um, a couple years after he left, he ended up coming to one of my shows. So my music (laughs) uh, kind of brought us together, and it's really cool how God— weaves people in and out of their lives. And, yeah, it's been an incredible journey. So I'm really excited for my vocation.
0: Interesting. Absolutely. And 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 I'm excited uh, to see how that, I mean, once we go into different stages of life, how that affects our art and our music. So uh, mm-hmm. um, that that's going to be very cool. Congratulations to you and your fiancé. Um,
3: Thank you so much.
0: So musically, you've been... I guess working on this new album, correct? Correct. So tell me how that process is for you. Do you, are you always writing music, or do you you decide I'm going to do a full length album and I'm going to sit and just write? How does that work for you?
3: Well, I knew I wanted to do a full length album because I've never I've only done smaller uh, albums in the past called EPs. They just have about four songs on them. The Christmas album has eight songs and I really wanted to do an official full length. And, and after I did the Christmas album, I had already been writing several songs other than the Christmas material. And so for the last two years, I'd say I've been writing and co-writing in Nashville and pick the best songs possible. And I actually had to pick with the producer from about 30 to 35 songs. That we oh, listened really? to and we said, Okay, what are the best ten songs? Yeah. So, so that um, ma- so wait, okay, no
0: w- sorry, sorry to interrupt. So that means you have to have thirty <sighs> to thirty five songs for a ten song album.
3: Well, you don't have to, but I kinda wanted to have a it's from because it's a pretty it's a pretty large undertaking to do a full length album and you really want every single song to capture someone's attention. We live in such a short span attention yeah. Um, A world these days and everything's instant and move on to the next thing and so to do a full-length album I really wanted every song to be amazing and I wanted the listener to say oh my gosh like I'm okay listening to this album for 20 or 30 minutes of course
0: and and do you do you do you think of an album as a kind of like it's a one project so you're you're thinking of a theme and all the songs sort of have to do with a particular theme or is it just a a combination of of kind of wherever you are in your life and and then you decide on what you know the title and the theme is going to be afterwards how does that work for you
3: well for me it's it's there's always going to be a common thread of songs that I'm writing in any particular phase of my career or life. Um, The last two years have been kind of a, a time of patience. Uh, I was able to sign a TV and film deal with a label. Um, So first label deal, not quite a record deal, but they take my songs and get them on TV shows and movies and things. And that's been an awesome, but just waiting for the next big move in my career and also, um, you know, my vocation, honestly, uh, just trying to really discern that and kind of what God wants to do with my music and built up a fan base um, down here in the southeast of the United States and, and, um, you know, building across the world slowly.
1: Yeah, Um, of course.
3: But yeah, it's just been kind of a culmination, that common theme of, I think, Self-discovery, patience, and really soul-searching.
0: So, why sleepless nights?
3: Sleepless nights was a song that I actually finished hours yeah. before going into the studio to record it. But we, I had the chorus, mm-hmm. and I had I had written the chorus. Uh, the tagline is "I'm tired of sleepless nights," uh-huh. um, and I had written it actually in the middle of the night, just not been able to sleep, kind of anxious about where's my life headed and am I making the right decisions? Um, which is, I think a feeling a lot of people can relate to and wrote the chorus. And later I was listening to the idea and I'm like, this is a really fun, this could be a really fun song. And, uh, one thing I really love doing with my fiance is dancing. We, we just like love to dance. Yes. Um, not necessarily like swing dance, but just, yeah, just have fun on the dance floor. Um, And so I kind of wrote the song in a way that was about a relationship. And, um, you know, if I'm going to be up all night with you, let's just dance, you know? Right. Um, So I thought, gosh, that's a really fun, for this album, I just want people to listen to it and be able to relate to the difficult emotions of waiting and soul searching, but also just to have fun. And Mm -hmm. um, I think it's really important to be, to soak up the present like what god is calling us to at the, at every moment To right. it's important to be responsible and think about the future but it's also really important to um really be present and whether that's getting off your phone and being with the people around you or um not not stressing about tomorrow like uh-huh. the bible says you know
6: absolutely
0: so you you need help funding this album you're doing a kickstarter campaign can you explain for people who've never heard Kickstarter, how, how does that work? How can they help you out?
3: Well, right now I'm using a platform online called Kickstarter, which allows people to contribute money to help fund the rest, the completion of the project. Yeah. So if you go to Kickstarter.com, search for my name, or if you go to the link that I'm sure we'll mention on yes. this program, um, you can scroll through, read a little more, you can even watch a video, kind of a documentary of what we're doing, yeah. um, and select the rewards you want. So you can give anywhere from $1 to $5,000, and each reward tier has special, um, special, different, unique experiences, unique um, projects and products that you can get. Yeah. Um, one really special Item I wanted to mention is this bracelet that I co designed with a jeweler here in Nashville. I saw that. Yeah, beautiful. And yeah, and we partnered with the Mocha Club, which is a nonprofit Christian organization working with communities in Africa Mm -hmm. to really help them get all around support from education to um, employment to running water and everything in between. And I wanted to help. Um, Being a part-time nanny and substitute teacher here in Nashville, I wanted Mm -hmm. to help kids get an education. I really feel like um, that's a fundamental building block. Um, And so part of the proceeds for that specific reward package with the bracelet, which is in the $150 tier, part of the proceeds for that specific package will go to these kids in Africa. So just trying to really create things that are unique, that support the project, but also have a bigger purpose. Yeah, Uh, than just me and just my music.
0: Good, you know what? I really like that because I've I have that's the first Kickstarter campaign that I've seen a partnership like that with a product. So that's very cool. Um, It it, it's great because in in essence, if people give fifteen bucks, they're basically pre-purchasing the album. So you're buying the album before it comes out. So I encourage everybody to go and support Rebecca's uh, uh, Kickstarter campaign. Rebecca, I know you have some Christmas shows coming up, and the album should come out in the spring. So there should be some 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 concerts some touring in the spring um we'll let people know closer to the date more details but thank you so much for what you're doing i love the music I, i've only heard the two songs um but i'm very <laughs> excited so i i hope that uh, i get to get the sneak peek as as more music comes uh, comes out yes. uh, before the album comes out thank you
3: thank you so much this is very exciting and humbling and i really appreciate all the support
0: you're very welcome You can find out more about Rebecca Rubion and her Kickstarter campaign and uh, to help fund Sleepless Nights at her website. Go to RebeccaRubion.com but we're going to put all those links on our site saltandlighttv.org slash radio so you can find it easily. Here now is Rebecca Rubion with a teaser from the new album Sleepless Nights. Here's a great song. Anywhere I Go.
1: Anywhere I go You're always in my heart Anywhere I travel, I'll never fall apart. I can get lost, lose my direction, still have our connection. Anywhere I go, anywhere I go, you're always in my heart.
0: We're listening to Rebecca Rubion anywhere with I Anywhere I, go, I go, go from her upcoming album, Sleepless Nights and that will bring us to the end of our program this week. Remember that if you missed any part of this program, you can stream or podcast all our Salton Light Hour programs at saltandlighttv.org, and that's also where we post links to our artists or guests. Remember to send us comments on what you heard on this program. The best way to do it is through Facebook, Deacon Pedro, or Twitter, at Deacon Pedro GM. If you like the show, you got to let me know. Thanks for listening. I'm Deacon Pedro, and this has been the Salt and Light Hour.
1: Wherever you are, come with me. Anywhere I go, you're always in my heart. Anywhere I travel, I never fall apart. I can get lost, lose my breath.